Welcome, welcome to season four of the Hello Personality podcast, the place where you'll learn how to use your personality type to create a radically authentic life that ignites your potential and creates positive ripple effects in all areas of your life. This is episode one of season four, and I'm so very glad that you're here. Thank you so much for listening. In this season, we're diving back into the Enneagram. If you're new to the Enneagram, I encourage you to check out season two for the basics of the nine core Enneagram types and the 27 subtypes. And if you've listened before, you know that I frequently talk about the skills of self-reflection and self-observation. These are the abilities to reflect on your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions, which all fall under self-reflection. And then the more advanced ability to recognize and interpret what's happening in the moment, which is self-observation. Well, surprise, surprise, these skills will be really important in this season too, because we're going to be digging into emotional intelligence in the Enneagram. You know, the idea of emotional intelligence has been very popular over the past several years. And in my opinion, there still hasn't been a major shift of appreciation for the value of emotional intelligence in many cultures and workplaces and organizations. You may have even heard that emotional intelligence is a better indicator of your success and fulfillment in your life than your IQ or your intellectual intelligence. The thing is, you can be brilliant intellectually, but without emotional intelligence, you're missing out on a huge opportunity to have a greater positive impact in your own life and the lives of others, not to mention living more consciously. In the book Emotional Intelligence 2.0, the authors tested EQ, which is their name for emotional intelligence, against 33 other leadership and professional skills including time management, decision-making, and communication. They actually found that EQ is the foundation for maximizing nearly all of these other skills. By understanding your own level of emotional intelligence and then working to improve it, even just a little bit, you can have wide-ranging positive impact on a ton of other essential skills that will help you be effective and impactful in your life and your work. In addition to time management, decision-making, and communication, emotional intelligence will strengthen your ability to manage stress and anger and other emotions, tolerate change, and to be more empathetic. So I want to take you back to a time in my life when I was facing a really big transition. Well, several actually, and things were not going well. The year was 2020, and you may remember what happened that year, but I'll get to that in just a minute. My husband and I had recently moved to a new town with the hope of buying a house. See, we had been renting for well over a decade in order to have more freedom and flexibility, but we decided that it was time to, quote, settle down, if you will. All that meant for us was to find a place where we would want to live long term and a place where we'd want to live long enough that it would make sense to buy a house. So on a weekday morning, we loaded everything into the moving truck and set out for a new life in our new town. And as we pulled into our new city a couple of days later, the first stop was a storage facility where we were hoping that we would only need to store our stuff for maybe two or three months while we looked for a house. Now, I just want to cut in here for a second into the story and mention that one big aspect of emotional intelligence 
is self-awareness and knowing your triggers. And that's going to be important in this story. So while I love a fresh start in a new place, I also knew that moving to a new place typically caused me to feel very stressed and extra emotional. One thing I did not consider, though, was the impact of stacking triggers. See, right before this move, and I mean right before, my husband had started a new job. One week into this new job, my mother-in-law passed away. Meanwhile, we were also trying to find a permanent place to live in an extremely competitive real estate market. And all of our comfort items, or I mean our belongings, were locked away in a metal cage about 20 minutes away. So finally, after a few months, our offer was accepted on a house, but the buyers wanted two months before closing, not the customary one month. Okay, okay, we can do this, I thought. At least now we have an end date and we just have to wait. And then... Then we started hearing the news of the spread of a new and unknown virus. You know the one I'm talking about. So as our closing date approached, you know the story, things began to shut down. The world seemingly came to a halt. Employees who could work at home were sent home to work. And that was a situation that many industries had never previously faced. And I know you lived through this very thing too. And this also included our mortgage lenders, who were critical to us being able to close on this new house. So the first closing date came, and then it went. The second date came, and it also went. And we couldn't get any information about what was happening, and why the dates kept being rescheduled, and why we kept being told that we can't close today, we can't close today. I think the truth is that no one knew what was happening and everyone was scared. The, quote, rules of operation, if you will, across many industries were changing daily, and people were worried. Meanwhile, we weren't sure if we would be able to access our belongings from the storage facility when we finally did close. Would they be shut down too? Would they even let us in? We'd never experienced a pandemic like this, so we had no idea what to expect. In retrospect, None of what we experienced with the move and trying to close was life-threatening, of course, and many people were facing much, much worse during this time. We were so very lucky to be in the position to be able to buy a home. But the stress and the changes and the turmoil of the previous months of all the things I had mentioned earlier, all those things intensified the unknowns and the uncertainties that we were facing and that were created by the pandemic. I really felt untethered and as if my life and my future were up in the air. I did not handle it well. Let me just say, I was not my best self. I was sad, angry, and confused. And I let it impact my day-to-day life and interactions. I cried out of frustration and fear each time there was another delay. I was angry at everyone and everything. The sellers, the bank, the pandemic, you name it. I was anxious that the deal would fall through and we would be left without a place to live and we would have to continue paying many more months of storage and that our temporary living situation that we had wouldn't last. The landlords were great and had been great, but they were already asking when we were going to be moving out because we had stayed much longer than we had anticipated. I felt so many different emotions 
and they seemed to fluctuate from one day to the next. Because I wasn't dealing with the root of these emotions and what they were telling me, it really clouded my decision making. As a result, I ate unhealthy foods to try and comfort myself. I spoke angrily to people who weren't at fault. My body was in knots from stress and tension. And one day, after yet another call from our agent notifying us of yet another delay, I recognized the pattern of my behavior and I was just tired of responding this way in my reactions to the situation. And I told the agent, you know what? I am not being my best self right now and I know none of this is your fault. I'm sorry. That moment brought shame for how I hadn't managed myself very well. But it also reminded me that I indeed had a choice. No matter what was happening to me in the world or around me, I could choose how I wanted to respond. I wasn't at the mercy of all these events happening. I just needed to pay more attention to what I was feeling and what my emotions were telling me. See, having a high level of emotional intelligence can be described as having competence in two areas. One, being able to manage yourself or being personally competent. And two, being able to manage your relationships and your social interactions or being socially competent. While I knew that moving had traditionally been a trigger that impacted my behavior and my emotions and my reactions, the triggers kept coming and I didn't grasp their cumulative impact on me. I was just trying to get to the finish line of moving into our new home. Then I could rest, I thought. However, my emotions were stacking, stacking, and stacking. I wasn't really paying attention to what they were telling me, and I wasn't managing their impact on me. Due to all the stressors in this situation, my capacity for self-reflection and self-observation really, really diminished. And when that finish line kept moving farther and farther away, the well of emotions within me broke open and everything I hadn't processed spilled out into a tidal wave all around me. Ignoring your emotions or seeing them as a problem to fix or letting your emotions blindly drive your behavior lowers your emotional intelligence, just as it did for me in the story that I just shared. Emotional intelligence is, as defined by Scott Allender in his book, The Enneagram of Emotional Intelligence, It's a measure of how effective we are at continually accessing, understanding, managing, and leveraging our emotions in our day-to-day relationships with ourselves and with others. When it comes to the Enneagram, I believe that all Enneagram types, those from the body center, the heart center, and the head center, can exhibit both high and low levels of emotional intelligence. Some people may pretend that they don't have feelings or that their feelings don't impact them, or that they just don't get upset or hurt. But listen, all human beings experience emotions, and emotions are the underlying and unconscious cause of feelings. And it's important to note that emotions precede rational thought. So no matter how logical or rational you may feel, there's always an underlying emotion there that happens before the rational thought. Life itself is an emotional experience. You experience emotions all day, every day, because they're the result of sensory input from your experiences. It only makes sense to work to recognize and understand your emotions 
because they can have an uncontrolled negative impact on your life if they're not paid attention to. You can't control having emotions, but you can control how you respond to them. So recognizing these emotions and interpreting them gives rise to your feelings. The more effective you are at recognizing and understanding your emotions, the better you'll be able to be at competently and consciously managing them so that they don't drive your behavior. In other words, you'll have a choice. There will be a space or a pause between the emotion and your response. You can also assign new meanings and truths to your emotions so that you have a different and more conscious experience when you do what all humans do, which is to experience emotions. This is a must if you want to become a more conscious, thoughtful, and impactful leader in all areas of your life. And that includes leading yourself and leading others. This personal competence, as I mentioned earlier, is a huge component of emotional intelligence. And increasing your emotional intelligence is a really powerful tool. When we talk about personality types, whether it's the 16 type system or the Enneagram, it's generally accepted that you're born with your type. In other words, it's considered fixed. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't grow and develop different aspects of your type, because you definitely can. But the core or the root of your personality type remains the same throughout your life. Emotional intelligence is different. The measure of your EI or EQ, as different people call it, can change with intentional effort. And as a side note here, I want to mention that most people think that they're much more emotionally intelligent than they actually are. And most people judge other people that they don't like as less emotionally intelligent. So as you listen to each episode in this season, I ask that you keep an open and a curious mind about where you can improve your emotional intelligence. But first, let's talk a little more about these categories of personal and social competence that make up emotional intelligence. There are various ways to define what makes up emotional intelligence, but I'm going to use the four categories that are described in the book Emotional Intelligence 2.0 by Dr. Travis Branberry and Dr. Jean Greaves, because this book gives really practical advice about how to work with your emotional intelligence as opposed to some of the theoretical understanding that might you might find in other places. So as mentioned already, the two broad categories are personal competence and social competence. Under the umbrella of personal competence, you have self-awareness and self-management. Self-awareness is accurately perceiving your own emotions and understanding your tendencies and your typical reactions to various people and situations. It's understanding your triggers. The skill of self-reflection or spending enough time thinking about and processing your patterns can drastically improve your self-awareness. People who are self-aware have a clear understanding of what they do well, why they do what they do, and the things that push their buttons. The best decisions that you can make in your life come from a place of self-awareness. Self-management, or the other aspect of personal competence, is about managing your own emotions and your responses to them effectively. It's what happens when you either act or you don't act. 
You self-manage when you use your awareness of your emotions to act in a positive way that moves you forward. So when someone triggers you or a situation triggers you, self-management allows you to respond effectively and consciously to your emotional reactions to the trigger. This aspect of personal competence also means being able to sit with any uncertainty or discomfort that your emotions may bring and any feelings they evoke until you can identify the best way to respond. So self-awareness makes you aware of your tendencies and patterns, and self-management gives you the ability to respond in a conscious and constructive way. So let's look at the other realm, social competence. Social competence includes social awareness and relationship management. So social awareness refers to the ability to understand other people's emotions and social cues. This helps you understand what is really going on with someone and what they're thinking and feeling, even if it's different from the way that you think about things or the way you feel about things. Essentially, it's the ability to consider the perspective of other people. Relationship management then is using your self-awareness and your social awareness to have successful interactions with others. Relationship management also includes communicating clearly and being able to handle and resolve conflict. So being good at relationship management means that you are able to manage relationships and interactions with others who you may not like, and you're able to do that in a healthy way. It's being able to see the benefit of all types of relationships, even when you're under a great deal of stress. So all of these things that I've mentioned under personal and social competence are things that are ongoing in their development and their refinement. There's no endpoint of, check, I'm done with that and I don't have to think about it anymore. So the first step in this process is to become a student of yourself. Be curious, notice, pay attention. Identify and analyze what's going on for you how you respond to various situations, and how you interact with others. Know that these things may be tested when you're under a lot of stress. Even the positive changes that you may have already made, those things can be tested too when you're under a lot of stress. That's okay. That is part of the process. Times of high stress are opportunities to give yourself even more time to reflect and observe and pause before responding. You know, earlier I shared that story of a time when I did not respond with a high level of emotional intelligence. But recently I had another opportunity to be put to the test, so to speak. And this is after really concentrated work on developing my awareness and my responses to various situations, especially those that don't go well. So my husband and I were on a really special trip celebrating a big anniversary And while we were on that trip, one major thing after another happened while we were gone. I won't bore you with all the details, but it was so much so that at one point we seriously considered whether or not we should fly back home. After about the fourth or fifth thing that went very, very wrong, I looked at my husband and I was like, you know, we could sit here and think about how everything continues to go wrong and even anticipate what might be coming next. Or we could sit here and enjoy these moments we're having together in this amazingly beautiful place. And we were in Kauai, by the way. But then I said, I can't imagine a more beautiful place to be while we're managing all of these things. 
we are so very privileged to have been able to take this trip. Well, he readily agreed, and we talked just a little bit more about how grateful we were feeling as we took some time to explore all that we were feeling and experiencing in the present moment. From that moment on, we were determined to simply enjoy each other's company and the sun and the ocean view, no matter what came next. What about you? Do you have some experiences that stick out in your mind as times when you operated from a lower level of emotional intelligence? And maybe some times when you responded from a high level of emotional intelligence? How often do you prioritize being a student of yourself? Do you find it difficult to carve out time to reflect and process your thoughts and feelings and behaviors? Well, if so, I would love to invite you to Journaling for Emotional Intelligence, Uncovering Insights Within. This is a four-week live journaling course, and each week we'll focus on one of the four pillars of emotional intelligence that we've been talking about in this episode, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and social management. With journal prompts specifically designed to unearth insights into your emotional intelligence, this journaling course will guide you to explore your current level of emotional intelligence, to understand your own strengths and struggles, and ultimately to increase your overall emotional intelligence. If you gain insights through writing and processing in this way, but you struggle to carve out time for this practice, I highly recommend this course. To sign up or for more information, just go to hellopersonality.com slash journaling. Now, coming up in the next episode, we'll have a type eight guest on the show. She has been working with the Enneagram for decades, and I'm really excited for you to hear her insights about her own journey with the Enneagram and her experiences with emotional intelligence. I'll see you then. Take care.